HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. I hope you guys are doing great. I, myself, have really, really struggled this week getting out of vacation mode after my wife and I did our little baby moon out in Broken Bow. And while we were there, I told you guys we were going to do some fishing, and we did. Uh, Les Stansteifer with SNS Guide Service came and met us out on Lake Broken Bow. We went out with him for several hours and did some crappie fishing. And let me just tell you guys, it was kind of funny. Les actually considered it kind of a slow day, but we caught tons of fish. And uh, for all you husbands out there who maybe want to get your, you know, your ladies, your wives, your girlfriends, whatever, out on the water more, take them on a guided fishing trip. Before this trip, my wife could not care less about fishing. After this, not only does she think that we now need to go fishing on all of our vacations, but my wife actually asked me about getting live scope for our boat because uh, that's what Les had on his boat. It was my first time using it, both of our first times using it, and it was awesome. It was unbelievable, and uh, it just made it just made it so much more entertaining, so much more engaging for my wife. Actually, seeing that there were fish under the water that we could catch, uh, and obviously catching quite a few of them. And so, uh, we're going to talk about that trip in more detail. Les is going to come on here in a, a week or two, and uh, we'll give a whole breakdown there. But I just wanted to tell you guys that we had an awesome trip with him, an awesome time, and caught a whole bunch of fish. So we had a lot of fun with that. Um, real quick before we get into the episode, I do just want to say that man, my thoughts are prayers are going out to everyone right now it just seems like mother nature is just being relentless so far this uh this month or year really we've had tornadoes there's fires going everywhere right now a few weeks ago we had flooding uh in parts uh some other parts of the state are super dry uh so it just seems like mother nature is just really coming at us this year and it's just incredibly hot already for you know middle to late may uh we've already hit almost 100 a couple times so yeah if you've been affected by tornadoes fires floods my heart goes out to you um praying for you guys praying for everybody so i just wanted to throw that out there real quick because it's just kind of been a my heart so uh so yeah like i said we're going to keep this intro nice and short this week this episode guys we got a nice long one we are talking all things archery we have a great guest we have chris hammond here from oklahoma and chris shoots for matthews he is a professional archer and we i mean we tackle archery we dive in deep uh when chris and i were talking you know before we started recording everything and setting this thing up we were trying to decide whether we were going to talk about archery, you know, just archery or just deer or both. And uh, I told him to tell you what, let's start with archery and kind of see where we go from there. And we filled up an entire hour-long show just talking about archery. And so uh, if you're a bow hunter, if you are into archery, if you've ever thought about getting into archery, this is the episode for you. Chris does a great job. He's a great communicator, really breaks down each individual part of the shot and just archery as a whole. So... I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Special shout out to Chris Hammond for coming on the show. Uh, we're probably going to have him back on here in a couple more weeks to talk about deer hunting because that's another big passion of his. And so, But this one's all archery talk. And so I'm going to be quiet, basically, and I'm going to let Chris tell you guys uh, about archery and how to be more accurate with your bow. Buying or selling land is a big commitment. Don't go at it alone. Contact the fine folks at Arrowhead Land Company to help guide you through this difficult process. Arrowhead Land Company has agents across the state of Oklahoma and soon to reach far beyond just the Sooner State. 
Will Bellis and Andrew Schultz started Arrowhead Land Company with the idea of having hardworking agents serving hardworking landowners. Contact them today and let them help you build your legacy. Summer is here and the fish are biting, so head over to privatewaterfishing.com and sign up for your membership. With your membership, you will get access to over 100 private lakes across Oklahoma and Texas, some of which even include the use of a boat while you're there. You can look for a lake close to home or maybe use the opportunity to make a little road trip and see some new country. That's privatewaterfishing.com to get started today. Memorial Day weekend is just around the corner, and that's when a lot of people start busting out the trail cameras to start getting those exciting velvet pictures. When those pictures start coming in, you need a way to not only organize, but also to analyze all those photos. This is where Deer Lab comes in. You simply upload the photos to Deer Lab and let it do the rest. You can sort by species, buck and doe, and start breaking down where those big bucks might be hanging out this fall. Check out DeerLab.com to learn more. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's show, and today we're joined by a very special guest, Mr. Chris Hammond. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, and uh, we're both been out there working and everything. It's the end of the day, we're ready to kind of wind things up, and uh, we're going to talk a little archery today. Heck yeah. So real quick, before we uh, get into the nitty gritty, Chris, why don't you just kind of give the listeners a little bit of uh, you know who you are, what you do, where you're from. And uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome, yep. Um, as you said, my name is Chris Hammond. I am from Norman, Oklahoma, otherwise known as God's Country. <laughs> um, yeah. And, man, I am a uh, full-time father and husband, uh, and, you know, Monday through Friday, and then I play a professional archer on the weekends. Um, yeah, so as far as the archery side goes, Man, I started competing when I was pretty young in the JOAD program. Um, JOAD programs are pretty popular, you know, throughout the country. Um, great opportunity for um, you know kids or anybody for that matter to get started in just shooting and learning the basics. Um, but I started in a JOAD program um, out of a, a shop in Shawnee, Oklahoma, called Tabe's Archery. I'm sure a lot of people know that place, but. Uh, Brenda, Tabe's wife, um, she was my coach back then, and she's the one who introduced me to competitive archery. Um, man, that kind of uh, you know set the uh, set the course, so to speak. Um, but over the years, I competed, you know, just local events, and was pretty good. And then high school hit, and you know, did all that. College came back, and was still looking for some some competition basically is what I was looking for mm -hmm. and got involved in the local 3d scene, the Oklahoma ASA scene here. Um, if you, if you don't know about them, you should definitely check them out on Facebook. Uh, I believe it's the Oklahoma ASA Federation, uh, Facebook group. Um, but I got, uh, got hooked up there and met some pretty cool guys that were just bow hunters. I started out shooting a bow hunting rig and again, had some success on the local, you know, scene, and I had a an older gentleman, a friend of mine that was that uh, kept challenging me to take my, uh, you know, he he was he was like, all right, big shot. He's like, <laughs> when are you gonna go and compete nationally? Um, and I always kind of stayed away from it. Um, but he's like, I'll uh, he's like, I'll pay your way if you'll go. Um, so I joined him. Um, he didn't pay my way, but he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't have to. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was good. He was just trying to get me out there, mm -hmm. but. Um, I pursued that with him, and I did really well in the in the beginning. And then I came down with target panic so bad that I could not even put my pin on the target. Mm. Um, and it came so it was so bad to where I was considering just quitting 3D archery and just bow hunting because I told myself I was like, oh, I can put the pin behind a deer shoulder and just hammer the heck out of a trigger and be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, 20 yards, not a big deal. Um, but I had a good friend, Ryan Thomason, um, that I shot with at the Oklahoma City Gun Club when they had um, their little 3D range going. And, man, he he kind of called me out, so to speak, about target panic. And he's like, man, you, you can whoop it. So over the fall, that fall, man, I just kept shooting, kept shooting, and 
we would FaceTime, send videos, do all that, and eventually got over target panic. Um, it's a much longer story than that. But um, once I got over target panic, I decided that I would give it a shot on the national scene again, and I signed up for Open A, which is a 50-yard max distance, unknown, you know, unknown. Mm-hmm. So you have to judge the judge the yardage. And man, went out there and shot 18 up for the weekend. Um, got second place, first national event since I uh, had target panic, and that kind of just that kind of lit a fire under me. Um, I won out Open A. I think I had a couple podiums that year. Finished uh, second the world at the national championships, which they call the classic. Then shot semi-pro the following year. Won out of that. Um, same thing. I think I yeah I can't remember where I finished. I think it was third or fourth at the uh, at the classic again. But then in 2019 was my rookie year. Um, had a great year. It was uh, it was definitely a learning experience for me. Um, and it's funny because Facebook's reminding me of it right now with uh, you know the memories where <laughs> it was like day one leader in Augusta, and then this morning I woke up to the emoji of the face palm on day <laughs> two, and I put I put hashtag rookie year. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was great. I uh, was lucky enough to win uh, rookie of the year that year and then after that um sophomore year COVID hit and limited some things but was able to make a run up to west virginia um pipe stem the ibo event up there made a shoot down there finished fifth and then last year was my best year as a pro um had had a couple top tens was in a shoot down. Was made a shoot down in London, Kentucky, uh, which that shoot's coming up here in two weeks. Um, I was in second place by two points uh, going into the shoot down. When everything came out of the shoot down, it was myself, Dan McCarthy, and Chris Hacker on the sixth and final arrow. I had to shoot a fourteen to you know put pressure on Dan McCarthy, um, who's the guy's a monster, mm. um, and I hit the fourteen. Uh, on a 41 yard large HD deer. I'll never forget it. Um, that feeling was amazing. Um, but, uh, of course, Dan doing Dan, Dan things. He also hit it to win. So mm. I finished second and then man finished out the year, came in seventh. Yeah. Tied for sixth, but got beat by Andy Callaway bonus rings for the, uh, for number seven and shooter of the year. Um, but outside of that, man, that's, a uh, that's my competitive side of things. I shoot for Matthews, um, shoot for se- you know several other companies that I'm blessed and lucky enough to have them support me. Um, but yeah, and, uh, and then the other time that I'm not shooting competitively, you'll find me bow hunting anywhere and everywhere I can. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. So, so safe to say you can give us a tip or two on on how to shoot a bow. Yeah, I can tell you what works for me. <laughs> all right, good, good. Yeah. That's all we need. That's all we need. Right. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit at last week when we were talking on the phone about how, you know, like I consider myself a hunter who has chosen to shoot a bow, you know, in order to hunt more. And, and you yeah. know, there's some people do that. And then there's other people who are archers that, you know, choose to hunt because they're already shooting a bow. And so a little different for everybody, but, you know, whatever whatever that person decides is right for them. We're just glad you're here, and we're glad you're out there shooting a bow and hunting. So, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, cool, Chris. Well, now that we got you, got that, um, I think what I kind of had in mind here was basically I just want to break down a shot, um, and so I kind of have some bullet points here that we're going to go through, and I want to cover everything from you know grip, anchor point, and all that stuff. So I kind of think I want to start at the beginning and, and feel free to interrupt me at any time or, you know, I'm, I'm not the pro you are. So if I'm leaving something out or forgetting a step, please feel free to jump in and correct me. So I'm going to assume the first thing we need to talk about is a grip, but what do you think? Yeah, yeah, we can, we can start anywhere. Um, you can start with, you can start with something as basic as draw length. Um, to me, you know, the most important thing, man, I say the most important. They're all important. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important um, aspects to being accurate as a bow hunter and an archer is your drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll start on the grip. 
Um, and it's funny you bring up the grip. We didn't we didn't talk about this uh, leading up to this, but uh, just yesterday, um, there's a local range out here in Colorado Springs where I'm working right now, and I spent about an hour and a half, two hours um, in there or at their indoor range and just worked and played with different grips and how it impacted my aiming, impacted the actual impact of the arrow, um, and just played with it. And now, quick, I, question, quick question real quick on that. Are you talking yeah. about like interchanging actual grips, or are you just talking about how you hold it? Just simply how I hold it. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. I'm shooting. So the bow I'm shooting right now is the, the Matthews TRX 36, mm-hmm. and I'm shooting their, their side plates, their engaged side plates with the Bomar grip tape wrapped around it. And I go thin on the Bomar grip tape. I don't double it up. I just do one wrap all the way down to keep it pretty thin. I like I like my grips to be thinner, if that makes sense. Um, several different companies make them to where they're a little bit bulkier, flatter, you know, stuff like that. But I prefer it a little thinner. Um, for me, the grip piece, it's all about can I repeat it? Um, going back to the amount of time I spent on the range uh, just yesterday, you know, testing, I guess is what you would say, is uh, – I was just after misses was more than anything. I know it kind of sounds crazy to say, Hey, somebody went and practiced to see where they could miss. Um, what I was looking for is, okay, if I grip my bow with more pressure to the left, I'm a right-handed shooter. So more pressure to the left side of the riser, uh, which way do I miss or how does it aim? If I grip to the right, um, how does it aim? If I keep my natural grip in the middle, how does it aim? How does it impact? Um, and someone might think I'm talking about torque tuning. Um, it's essentially torque tuning, but I'm doing it at 20 yards, and I just wanted to feel and kind of see what aimed better, to see if that's what I needed to repeat. Um, but, yeah, I when it comes to a grip, uh, the number one thing is having a relaxed hand. Um, if you played sports, if anybody ever told you to have soft hands or, like, try to catch an egg, if someone threw it to you, um, you want the same thing on your bow. Um, or at least in my experience. So when you put your hand in that bow, you don't want, you know, your muscles engaged. You don't want to be squeezing the bow real tight. Um, you really don't want anything other than just your hand fitting in there and then the oppress- the pressure coming from you drawing the bow. And I have found that that's the most consistent for me. That aims better, and it ultimately it shoots better it's it's more accurate it's more repeatable um it's pretty easy for me to say okay relax your hand compared to me saying all right hey i need to have about 50 percent tension in my hand (laughs) or something along those lines Mm -hmm. but yeah the grip that's uh that's it as far as that goes just maintaining soft hands um george riles he really talks about soft hands and he talked about it years ago and he's a he's a very popular archery coach and very accomplished archer um, but soft hands, both with your bow hand and your release hand, man, it just leads to a better fluid shot. Bow aims better and less, uh, less impact you have on where that arrow goes. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, the next, the next point I had on my list was draw cycle. Uh, but again, I'm leaving it up to you. If you think there's something in between that, go for it. Yeah, no, um, the, the draw cycle stuff that changes, but before I leave with the grip, the most mm-hmm. common, the most common mistake you'll see people make is they'll grip that riser, um, and people will say, "Okay, I'm not gripping it. I'm my fingers are sticking straight out, mm-hmm. right?" So they, that's uh, I think we just when we go and we get both set up, and we say, "Hey, you got to shoot with an open hand." And if we change that to a relaxed hand the hand doesn't have to be sticking straight out. It mm-hmm. literally can look like you're holding onto the bow, but if it's relaxed when the bow fires, you won't see someone grip that bow right as they fire. Um, if you're gripping it, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're controlling that shot and some people can do it. Uh, there's like, mm-hmm. there's three, I think there's three in the world that are really good at it. So maybe you're number four. I don't know. <laughs> I had it. I, I was just, uh, I was holding my hand out like I was grabbing my bro and I, I, you know, I stuck my fingers out and then I, I will say like a relaxed hand, you do kind of curl your fingers just a little bit to make it, yeah. you know, it'd be like you were holding it, but I understand what you're saying. Yep. That relaxed hand. Yeah. So. Yep. So, um, that's one big thing is just to focus on there is if, uh, 
if you're thinking about an open hand, you just want to maybe change that verbiage to a relaxed hand, gotcha. and it'll help you out. Um, it will definitely help that. Uh, but make sure you've got a wrestling or something along those lines to keep mm-hmm. your bow from, you know, falling. Yeah. Um, but uh, draw cycle um, is, I mean, as far as I don't, I don't know exactly what you mean there. Um, and I don't but, know if there is anything there. I guess I was just thinking, okay. you know, is there anything specific when you pull that bow back? Um, is there any reason to, you know, take the bow up and draw down, or is that bad? Do you want to try to keep it level? Um, yeah, just any, yeah. anything with that. Yeah, no, they, uh, so when people, like, aim it up in the sky and pull it back and then come down to the target, you know, they call that sky drawing. Um, a lot of uh, indoor ranges are out on that. I even, I mean, some of the uh, the competitive circuits that we shoot on, it, that's illegal. Hmm. Um, they're not they're not too strict on that, but it's, a, it's against the rules. Hmm. Um but I recommend someone, if you can be comfortable pointing, obviously in a hunting situation, if you can be comfortable pointing that bow at whatever your target is and coming mm-hmm. to full draw, that's fantastic. Right. Um, ideal. Uh, to me, that's ideal. Uh, but I have a tendency to draw a little higher. Um, my bow's pointing straight, but um, I'm sure there's videos and uh, you can see in the shoot down. Um, and other footage and pictures um it starts as if i'm sky drawing and i'm sky drawing a little bit i mean this is what it is but what i'm doing is i'm trying to draw higher and then work my bow down um so i guess the best way to explain it is when i come to full draw my arrow is normally about eye level if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and then i come and settle down into my my anchor. The reason why I do that is because I'm setting my shoulders. Um, what I run into is my front shoulder will have a tendency to be inconsistent. So it's not in the same spot. And then my back shoulder, same thing. It kind of gets crunched up in, I'd say like kind of into my neck. So almost if you can imagine what I'm explaining there Mm -hmm. or picturing it. Um, so I come to full draw like that because that's what I found works for me. Um, but like I said, my recommendation is if you can point your bow at your target and pull that sucker straight back, that's ideal, especially in a hunting situation. Now this year, um, I found myself hunting this, this one specific deer primarily from the ground. Mm-hmm. And if I would have done any sky drawing or anything crazy like that, like it would have been game over before it ever started. Yeah. So yeah, and I've so, yeah. I've always, especially in a hunting situation, you know, thought you'd want to keep your bow level. I I wasn't sure if there was some kind of form though with, with target stuff where you wanted to, but that's interesting that it's illegal. I, I guess that makes sense. They don't want people launching arrows everywhere. No, yeah, you don't. You definitely don't want to. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a a picture of a a guy going around this year out at Reading with an arrow through his like basically his back pocket, like he had a mm-hmm. Nalgene bottle through his back pocket and the guy <laughs> that guy was living right i know that mm-hmm. yeah so you mm-hmm. know somebody somebody fired an arrow yeah aiming a little high yeah but mm-hmm. but yeah as far as as far as a uh, draw cycle or anything like that man that's uh that's really it okay okay <clears throat> and then you mentioned it and that was my next point anchor point uh, i feel like this is definitely a huge one so talk about anchor point yep anchor point something uh as bow hunters and archers start like they they'll learn that that's probably one of the most uh talked about pieces is find you an anchor point that you can repeat um man there's a lot to go on with a luck to talk about with an anchor point um but when it comes to hunting that is uh that's something that you want repeatable and you want it repeatable when the biggest deer of your life stand in front of you and we all know that that's pure chaos like it's just i mean it's, it's awesome it's amazing but we're also freaking out. Um, there's very few people who aren't, but um, if you're not, man, I don't know. Kudos to you. <laughs> um, so anchor point, this is why you practice all in the off season um, compared to just picking your bow up, you know, 30 days beforehand. Um, but practice, practice, practice. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of new, I guess you call them tools um, and accessories that you can use. Um, in the hunting world, like the one and, and target world, the big one that I am a huge, huge fan of is the nose button by, by Beaumont Archery. And the reason why 
especially on a hunting bow, is we run nor- we normally run shorter axle to axle bows. So it keeps you from having to bring your head way down and find that string every time. But the other thing is the way it's set up is your nose will touch it. Mm-hmm. And if you know if your nose is touching it, you know you're at least in the ballpark, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're shooting a movable sight um, versus fixed pins, fixed pins, your head's going to be in the same position every time. A movable sight, if you shoot, if that animal's at 100 yards, your head's going to be in a different position. But if you're shooting 100 yards, you've practiced enough to know where your nose should be on that nose button. Mm-hmm. or where hopefully. you should be anchored. Yeah, hopefully. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say you have, because yeah. that should be like the basic expectation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, but yeah. now the other thing with your anchor point, um, I'm not going to rewrite the book. You know, people mm-hmm. want to anchor sometimes down on their jaw. I've seen people put their thumb behind their neck, um, you know, nose touching the string. But there's a lot of great archers out there that shoot where their nose doesn't touch the string at all, and they look through their peep and they center their peep, or they center their pin, you know, inside their peep or their housing um, inside their peep. But the the one thing that I think gets missed a lot is face pressure. Um, that nose button kind of keeps your face off of that string, but if you've got that string all the way up in your cheek. Um, and you're leaning really hard over into it where maybe your draw length is long um, or maybe too long, you're going to see inconsistencies. Um, a lot of times you're going to have a hard time getting your arrow to shoot a, a bullet hole through paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're running into that in your paper tuning, you you can't get it to shoot. Try shooting your bow with your face away from the string. Mm-hmm. Um, I've helped several archers that couldn't get a – you know, a left hair out of their bow, um, and we take their face off the string and boom, perfect bullet hole. Um, so face pressure impacts that. Um, so you want to be mindful of that. Um, just practice honestly is what changes that you may have to move your peep sight up or down or something along that, or maybe go to a longer D loop to fit yourself in between your hand and your string. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's uh that's where all these local shops come in to come into play mm-hmm. and man they uh they can slap a D loop on their on and off of there faster than probably faster than I can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh that's that's two major points I'd talk about with the mm-hmm. gotcha. with the anchor. Do you uh do you have a preference I'll, I want to talk about release later, but uh as far as like the physical release, do you have a preference to like a trigger or a thumb release or uh, you know, is that going to change how that anchor point reacts? Yeah. So, so if you're using an index um, release, um, as far as index finger, the normal trigger mm-hmm. finger with your uh, your index finger, um, going from that to um, a T handle, you know, thumb activated release or even a hinge, um, that would, it, well, let's say this, it could impact your anchor point Mm -hmm. um for me when i shoot a hinge a three finger hinge um i can go from my three finger hinge to my index with no problem um right now i'm shooting a two finger release so i'm shooting the the true ball goat but i'm shooting it as a two finger and i'm shooting it as a thumb activation so it's a button Mm -hmm. um still trigger but it's done by my my thumb Mm -hmm. so the reason why I went to that release is because I felt like I got better alignment. Um, I felt like, I, like I talked about, you might have to change your D loop. Mm-hmm. You might have to move your peep around with that. Uh, with that two finger, I felt like I was able to keep my alignment. Um, and what I mean by alignment is when I came into anchor and then I looked through my peep site, my housing was centered. I didn't have to work to center it. Um, didn't have to move my head around or bounce my head up and down, you know, getting it, in the right spot. Um, so yeah, it can change, um, just from index finger to a button, to a hinge, to even a, you know, a tension release. So okay, you can move it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Uh, I can't decide if I want to separate these two or, cause I feel like they kind of go together, but, um, so I'll, I'll give you both of them. You can either split them or do them together, but I want to talk about your breath, your breathing, and then your aiming point. Um, you know, obviously with your breath, how you're controlling your breathing, how you're doing that as you aim. And then with the aiming point, 
you know, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, and this is probably myself included, are kind of swinging around and they wait for that, you know, pin to line up and then hit the trigger, which obviously I know is not good. Um, are you trying right. to be completely solid on that? Uh, do you put your pin below the target? Do you try to cover it up? Uh, just talk about the whole breath and aiming and stuff. Absolutely. Um, so breathing for me, um, that's the easy one to talk about first. I take a, I breathe in. So I inhale as I'm coming to full draw. Mm-hmm. Um, when I hit full draw and I'm coming down into my anchor, I let uh, roughly a quarter of my breath out, maybe half of my breath out. And then as I start to aim and I start my shot process, I am exhaling. And then as the pin slowly, I don't want to say it stops, but sometimes Mm -hmm. it stops. Mm -hmm. Um, When it stops, that's normally when my breath is stopped. I don't blow all the air out. Um, I just exhale out where I'm not even thinking about it. And then I let the shot fire. So that's how I breathe through the shot. Um, I always, you know, as I'm coming to full draw, I'm inhaling. As I'm coming down, exhaling a little bit, and then I breathe out. And at some point, that stops. Um, I haven't really focused too much at when that stops, um, but it stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm holding too long and I'm about to run out of breath, which some of my friends that listen to this, uh, that will listen to this, will make fun of me, um, probably Matt Danner and Ryan and Aaron and basically everybody I shoot with, mm-hmm. um, I have a tendency to hold a little longer, um, and and yeah, they uh, they they wait for me to pass out or they try to breathe for me. So gotcha. you just want to make sure you're taking a good deep breath and controlling that. Um, again, focusing on your breathing and controlling that takes your mind off of whatever pressure situation you are in. So when someone says says focus on the basics. Um, breathing is a basic that a lot of people forget about. Um, if you're jacked up, you may not even breathe when you're coming to full draw and you're already running out of air. And when you run out of air, the first thing to go is your eyes. So now your vision is going to be blurry and then your muscles start running out of oxygen, oxygen, which then that turns into a shaky shot. So as you aim, the shake starts a little more. Um, so breathing, very important, probably not talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I haven't heard talked about. But as far as aiming goes, um, we shoot a bunch of different type of archery from 3D, or sorry, from indoor to 3D to um, dots, um, all the way out to you know 100 yards to animals. Um, indoor, I shoot. I transitioned this last year over to a dot, a black dot. I shoot a, a four power lens. And it's at 20 yards. So nothing's really changing there. The reason why I went to the dot from my pin was when I would go and shoot these tournaments and at all these different locations, the lighting was always different. Mm. Um, So I found myself changing my pin, you know, brightness and all that, uh, which worked. It was great. But when I switched to the dot, that just, it went away. I didn't have to worry about anything anymore. So with the dot, um, I'm covering up the X. I shoot a five five millimeter dot, I believe is the size of it. Yeah, I think that's right. And what I'll do is I will try to cover up the X. So what I'm speaking of an X, for those of you familiar, uh, when you go and shoot in an archery range, you normally get a five spot or a three spot. What I'm referring to is the X on the three spot. Um, so I'll cover that up. And when I cover that up, it actually sets my mind, kind of lets it be at ease um, because the movement doesn't seem as big. And covering it up, all I do is focus on executing the shot, and the arrow hits where it is. Now, when I go outdoors and when I'm hunting, um, they tie together. So 3D is my, my number one game. It's what I love and I'm passionate about, um, just like hunting. What I do is I pick a specific spot. So um, if it's picture a deer target and there is a piece of shade that is 12 o'clock at the 12, I'm aiming at that specific spot. Whenever I find, when I aim very, very fine, I've noticed that I aim better mm-hmm. compared to, okay, there's the 12 ring. I'm just going to float on the 12 ring. 
Mm-hmm. Well, when I float, when I say that, my pin tends to just start walking around the target. Like it'll slow down and I can make the shot. But if I can pick the smallest, let's say, you know, indication or aiming point that I can with my eyes and I can still see it when I'm at full draw, that's what I do. Um, that might be a hole that's six o'clock in the 12 or, you know, three o'clock in the upper. That's what I do with hunting. I do the same thing. Yes. I know we think deer and everything is full, you know, they're just fur and nothing sticks out, but I don't know about you guys, but my deer are beat up. So they've got missing hair and, you know, chunks and everything Mm -hmm. like that and muscle that you can aim off of. And I always pick the smallest, the smallest point that I can aim at, and I aim at that, and that's all I focus on as I'm going through the shot. And that's really it. I don't, I don't do the whole aiming below or aiming, you know, under or anything like that. Um, I have practiced in the 3D world where if there's an arrow already in the target um, to the right of the 12. Um, I have, I, as far as knowing my equipment and being prepared, um, I I have practiced and done it in practice. In practice, I haven't actually done it in the tournament yet. Um, but I can aim on that arrow, and I will just put windage clicks in my sight to hit left or you know hit left or right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go crazy uh, because that's a recipe that can be a recipe for disaster if I don't remember to move my sight back to where it started. Right. But but. Um, in the moment, if that ever came to fruition where I needed to do that, and the only thing I could see is that other archer's arrow, that's I'm prepared to do it. Um, but other than that, man, I like to aim at as small a detail as I possibly can. Gotcha, gotcha. Pick the spot. Pick the spot. Yep. Yeah, pick the small spot. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, <clears throat> I think we're to the last part of the shot, which is the release. Um so just walk us through the actual release of the arrow. Okay. Yeah, so um, there's a – I mentioned um, the command shooters. You know, I can, I'm can. i thinking of Tim Gillingham, Kyle Douglas, now Remington Boyer. I'm trying to think. I'm just, if I'm missing someone, I'm sorry. Um, but those guys are command shooters, and they are dang good at it. Um, I mean, those three are some of the best in the world. Um the Remington's kind of new to it, but they, those are three guys. And out of all the people I've met shooting, shooting uh, competitive archery, those three guys are the only ones I know that are uh, really good at it. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I say that is because then it leads me to the shot, um, which outside of your draw length, um, if you, if you can't fire a good shot, you're making it really tough on yourself to be consistent. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am a person that will focus on me more than I will my equipment when it comes to problems. Um, if I'm having a problem, I'm having inconsistent arrows, I focus on myself. I say, okay, what was that? Was, did I have to, was my hand stiff? You know, did I have a tense bow hand? Was I, was I giving? Was I getting into my string and doing fa- and giving too much face pressure? Uh, was I not aligned in my peep sight? You know, stuff like that. Um, what was I doing? Um, instead of uh, what I hear a lot is, oh no, that's my bow shooting left, and they go start putting clicks in their side, moving their side left, right, up, down. So the release is very important. Um, I am a. I, mean, I guess you can call it a surprise shot but it's just like uh anybody who shot a gun you uh you acquire your target um you put your crosshairs or in our you know in our uh situation a pin mm-hmm. um in the spot that you want to hit and then you apply pressure um until that shot fires and if they surprise shot so right now i'm shooting a thumb activated release um true ball goat like i mentioned uh, when I come to full draw and hit my anchor and get into my spot, you know, her, sorry, I hit full draw, I come down into my anchor, and I start aiming. I put my thumb on the barrel, and I want to be able to feel it. I, I don't have it set light enough to where I'm scared to touch it. I want to be able to feel it. Mm-hmm. And as I aim, I am maintaining tension. Um, a lot of people call it back tension. I'm maintaining tension on the back of the wall is what I'll call it. 
Um, but as I'm aiming, I do one thing, um, and that is I relax my hand. Um, and as I'm relaxing my hand, it tends to, I guess, envision your, you have your hand, you're holding a, a T-handle release, you know, or a thumb release. And as you're holding it, if you relax it, your hand flattens out as you're at full draw. And if your thumb is sitting there and your hand relaxes, that peg and that release is moving. So that thumb peg is moving. So ultimately it fires without me saying fire. Again, really, people are really good at putting a pin on there and saying fire and hammer it. Wham. Uh, I'm not. That's how I got target panic. It was terrible. Um, so I focus on relaxing my hand. For anybody that's trying to learn how to shoot a release in that fashion or even a hinge, uh, quote-unquote, back tension release, um, when you get to full draw and with a hinge you let off, you let your thumb off of the peg, which is your safety, or with a button you get your thumb on the peg, the easiest way that I've coached anybody on how to shoot a, a surprise shot is once they're at full draw, focus on pointing their index finger at the target. So slowly but surely, you know, slowly relax that finger as if you're going to point at the target. And that will cause that release to move and fire, whether it's a button or a hinge. If you keep doing it, it'll happen. So that's how I get through a hinge, a, a button, you know, a, um, and this a thumb activated release when it comes to a trigger um now if i if i'm shooting a trigger an index finger release i will get my index finger on there and i i don't necessarily wrap it as much as i do um, as much as i shoot probably half on my fingerprint uh, probably right in the middle of the tip of my finger um similar to how i shoot a gun but i will press on it and once you're over target panic, you'll be able to press on that trigger and just focus on aiming and it'll go. Um, again, you're maintaining pressure on the back end and all that. How do I keep a consistent shot and, and not hang up or what I mean by hang up, I get to full draw and I feel like I'm moving and I feel like I'm applying pressure, but it's not firing. Um, I spend legitimately 50% of my practice time blind bailing hmm. and i know it's crazy but it's a change i made last year and i blind bail the crap out of my bow like i'm telling you i don't stop yeah um real quick even, why don't you tell people I, I mean i know what it is why don't you tell people what blind bail is describe it for people. yeah yeah no good good point i'm glad you stopped me mm-hmm. um so blind bailing is it's not necessarily you're shooting blind um, some people need to shoot blind um but for me um if you put a target at a close distance five yards, two yards, three yards, doesn't really matter. It could be 10 yards. It could be 20, but you need to aim, make sure you hit your target. <laughs> but so the goal is, is that you come to full draw, and it's at a close enough distance that you come to full draw, you can put your pin where you want to hit, and you can close your eyes, and you can execute a shot, excuse me, you can execute your shot and focus on just the release. You don't care where the arrow hits. That doesn't matter. It's just executing clean and quality shots. By doing this, one, it's how I got over target panic. Uh, But two, when you step outside to shoot, it's going to make your shot just be that much smoother. Your shot timing is going to be great, all of it. Um, I mean, heck, any shot that I've had to execute under a high amount of pressure, whether it's in a shoot down or money or it's in a hunting situation at a you know a big deer the blind bailing is my foundation that i've been able to build on mm-hmm. and it's help it helps me execute a shot um in those moments the reason why is it's muscle memory i have 50 percent of my practice um i can tell you so leading up to the last tournament which was a uh, camp Menden down in shreveport louisiana the week before I shot, well, the, the Wednesday before I needed 11 arrows to hit a thousand arrows that week. Um, 
and that's a ton of arrows. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that's a lot of arrows. Um, I'm not hitting those numbers now because I'm not here in Colorado Springs, and I've only got a couple hours where I can shoot a couple a couple rounds. I'm probably getting 100 to 120 arrows in, maybe a little more each day. But the blind bailing, it's, it's time. And what I do in my office is I've got a target set up there on my desk um, at the house, and I can sit in there and I can blind bail. I can talk to the wife and the kids. I normally do this at the end of the evening whenever everybody's settling down. But I just focus on the shot. Um, for me, I have seen a better benefit of me aiming at something um, just because I want that mind-muscle connection of aiming while executing a good shot. Um, so that's what I do for me at roughly five yards and – I do it. Uh, if I'm not doing it every day, it's uh, it's six it's six days a week, um, and it's it's so beneficial. It's kind of the tedious things, um, but it's super beneficial to having a quality shot. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was gonna. We were kind of finishing up the whole shot process, and I was gonna ask about practicing and stuff and your uh, things that you do. So I'm glad we talked about blind bailing. I was gonna ask you about that. Uh, what are some other just good practice? Uh, you know, things people can do to practice, you know, do you shoot at longer distances than what you're going to be shooting at to kind of uh, work on your form or not your form, but uh, you know, stretching yourself out. Um, like when you're getting ready to go hunting, do you switch from, you know, like a square target to a deer target to kind of get that picture? Uh, what are just some general practices that you do? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, one, when it's com- coming down or when it comes time to, uh, to deer hunt or elk hunt, Shooting at a uh, a 3D target um, or even a printed target, you know the little 2D targets. Um, they uh, those are great. It, that will get you used to shooting, you know, behind the shoulder, or center of the ribs, wherever you like to shoot. Um, you know, for the guys that want the 35% FOC, you know, the, that high shoulder, they like to go through both of those shoulders. Uh, I'm joking there. Um, <laughs> I was like, man, that sounds really high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no i don't uh, uh-huh. but <laughs> we won't go down there. yeah uh, we won't go down there. um but no shooting at a uh an animal target 3d target man it pays dividends but the you still got to have your targets that you're shooting at dots to make sure that your your marks mm-hmm. are perfect your sight tapes perfect or your pins are perfect mm-hmm. um how i practice is i love to shoot far and I'm pretty sure most archers do because mm-hmm. it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's cool to see. I was just watching a slow-mo video of uh, uh, Joel Turner shooting his longbow at like 70-something yards <laughs> in slow-mo and hitting the 3D target. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I uh, I tend to try to stretch it out every time I get my bow out and shoot, you know, the, the 60 to 70 to 80 yards. Um when it's not crazy windy um, and I don't want to put an arrow through like the side of my house mm-hmm. or my neighbor's house. Um, I, uh, I will stretch it out to 90 and a hundred. But what I have found is when you do shoot really far and then you step up to that 40 yard range, it's easy. Yeah. It's really easy. Mm-hmm. So same thing with 3d. Um, when I'm judging, I normally, ju- you know, judging stays the same, um, you know, between 52 yards and zero. But when I'm practicing and I'm really working on my shot outdoors, um, I'll normally get out there about 60 yards and then work on aiming at the smallest things I can see, you know, executing solid shots. But anytime you can stretch it out and shoot longer, it's only going to make your normal distances that that much easier. Um, Your pin movement's going to look a lot slower. Um, That shot's going to flow smoother. It's just going to be, it's all positives. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got uh, two more questions on the top of my mind that uh, I want to get to. First one is, uh, this is kind of a gear question. Um, I want to talk about stabilizers a little bit. So, you know, you see guys with target bows, and they got, you know, a four-foot stabilizer going forward, then they got two little ones coming backwards. And and I know a lot of people now are shooting those stabilizers that you can, like, hook your quiver to because they're long enough. And um, I guess, I, I guess not only, like, how important is a stabilizer, but I mean, what, what is it, what is a stabilizer truly doing and how is it helping you? I guess is the real question I'm getting at. So there's a couple things. Um, 
I will, I'll run through like my setup. So, um, target setup, I'm shooting a 30 inch front bar and a 12 inch back bar. Um, right now I'm running, um, 16 ounces on the front and 20 ounces on the back, um, of my target bow, my hunting bow, I'm running a 15 inch bar and a 10 inch bar on the back. I'm running six ounces on the front and nine ounces on the back. Um, couple there's a few things. Um, Matthews, they came out with the engaged limb legs um, that clip onto the limb pocket so there's no impact to your limbs through the shot process. Now, it does change the weight of your bow a little bit and may aim a little different, so you definitely should practice with it. But if you don't have those and you're shooting a 15-inch bar, it helps keep your broadhead out of the dirt while you're in a ground blind or anything like that. So that's one reason why I shoot a 15 inch bar. Um, it's tough to shoot a 15 inch front bar in a ground blind. Um, and in that scenario, what I have done is I've just taken a stack of weights and put it on the front of the bow. Um, it aims good. It aims great. Um, especially if you have the right draw length and that's probably something we'll circle back and talk to before we jump off here and cut it off. But, um, the I, the stabilizer, it is simply there to help you, one, minimize your pin movement. And how do you do that? You find what works for you, whether that is a 6-inch bar, whether it's an 8-inch bar, 10, 12, 15, 20, uh, 33. Um, and then that bar, with the weights on the end, you can change it by ounces. Um, a lot of them come with just single-ounce little disc weights or they come with three ounces or four or eight um by adding weight you again can manipulate the way that bow aims and i know that might be something that we doesn't get i mean i'm sure it gets talked about out there but um you can slow down your pin float you can if you have a tendency of your pin going out of the bottom of the target as you're aiming like it just pops you can take weight off of the front bar or you can add weight to the back bar. Um, you can play with the pitch of your back bar with a bunch of these, you know, these new, the back bar, I say new, they're all back bar attachments. Shrewd has one, um, the Atlas mount, it's, you can go all over the place and there's several companies that make them. Um, but that's mainly what it's for is manipulating your pin. Now the back bar again impacts how that pin aims. But it also impacts the level of your bow. Um, so whatever weight you have on there, if you shoot with a quiver on or shoot with it off, that impacts how your bubble, your level, um, is going to be when you come to full draw on flat ground versus if you're on the side of the hill or anything like that. Um, I am a, a huge advocate for shooting your hunting bow without a quiver on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main reason why is... Um, well, it's I, I can't stand it. I'd rather take it off and then just shoot it regular. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, if you had to shoot multiple arrows, the weight of the bow is going to change as you shoot. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and toots their own. Everybody has their different, you know, different methods. Some people love to shoot with it. You know, uh, all the traditional guys they they tend to shoot on shoot it shoot with the quiver on one. Heck, it helps the bow be a little bit quieter. And two, uh, if you're like me with a traditional bow, you need every arrow in that quiver <laughs> to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that is uh, when it comes to the stabilizers, man, it helps uh, counter the weight of a, a quiver, a sight. It helps impact the way, or manipulate the way that pin moves and aims on the target and you know, it keeps your bow level. Gotcha. It also keeps your, broad, keeps your broadhead out of the dirt. Gotcha. Very cool. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, you've uh, you've hit it draw length several times, so I definitely want to let you get into that. And uh, I'll warn you, I'm one of those tiny draw length guys. I'm about 27 and a half, so uh, feel free to step on anybody's toes you need to, because they're probably not much shorter than I am. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> no, one of my one of my good buddies is right there where you're at. Uh-huh. So, um, and look, I when it comes to draw lengths, um, whatever your draw length is, is what it is. Mm-hmm. But the the biggest thing is finding and playing with different draw links to find what aims best for you. Um, a lot of people, you know, and so you said you're 27 and a half. Yep. I, bl- I think yep. so. We'll see what I'm at, yep. uh, you know, after this conversation. 
Well, so you you might be a true twenty seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, now each bow manufacturer they may not come out to a true twenty seven and a half inches. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be you know an eighth of an inch shorter or longer. And when it comes to a draw length, that's a huge difference. Um, and how can you manipulate that? Um, one, it, you know, a twist in the cable here and there, and all your bow shops can walk you through that. Two, you know, mod changes. Um, that's one of the big things. And then the one thing that kind of gets left off is D-loop. Um, you may need a 27-inch draw length, but with the way your head is or your face or whatever release you're shooting, you may need a longer D-loop or vice or a shorter D-loop. Mm-hmm. Um, my point is play with it. Um, that's my recommendation there is find your true draw length. Um, I'd love to tell you that measuring your wingspan mm-hmm. and you know multiplying it by your body weight and then subtracting your age <laughs> gives you your draw length. Uh-huh. Um, that's a joke also, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't. I was with you. Nobody does that. <laughs> I was yeah, with no, you. <laughs> no, yeah, don't do that. That's a joke. Um, but it uh, those things get you close. That is a starting point. Um, so I I range just with different bows. They change. Uh, string angles change. Uh, with me, the longer axle-to-axle bow, the shorter draw length I have versus with the shorter axle-to-axle bow, the longer draw length I have. Now, it doesn't change much. It's just minute. Um, but that's for me and how comfortable it is. Um but you'll see that if you have too short of a draw length, you will notice that when you're aiming, your pen will have a buzz to it. So it'll kind of rattle all around, right? And if you took that same bow and then you and you lengthen that draw length out, say a half inch, well, a half inch is a big jump. But if you took your bow and put it on 28 and a half, or 28, you come to full draw, I guarantee you your pen slows down. Um, and it's just going to be a float. Now you got to find the, the, the middle ground because we know we're not going to be shooting in perfect conditions. We can be shooting uphill and downhill. And when you get too long of a draw length, um, that's when things go bad, um, shooting uphill or downhill. Um, shooting on perfectly flat ground, you can run you know, a longer draw length and get away with it. Um, but you definitely have to play with it, and you want to find what aims best for you. For me, if I go a little long, my bow aims phenomenal. Um, it's it's amazing. It's fun. However, if my pen starts to move, it's harder for me to slow it down, like or mm-hmm. correct it. Um, and what I mean by that, so if it starts to move like low left and it fires, I'm gonna miss low left, and it's gonna be a pretty big miss compared to a shorter draw length where it's kind of buzzing in the middle. Well, if it just buzzes in the middle, I don't care what the pin movement looks like as long as it's just in the middle and it fires and it hits the middle. That's great, mm-hmm. but with that longer draw length, it gets it's fun to watch the pin kind of sit in the middle and just float. But as soon as I get to uneven ground and my feet, my my back foot's higher than my front foot or vice versa, or I'm shooting uphill, things go bad. Um, my body wants to collapse, so it doesn't want to stay fully you know stretched out shooting uphill. Um, some people may experience that, um, and you may be someone may experience the fact that like as they're aiming uphill if they went and shot that tack you know that tack is a total archery challenge down there and uh i'm going blank southeast oklahoma mm-hmm. um bow. if they went and shot there you go broken bow if they went and shot down there they uh they may have experienced that where it was like man my bow is not aiming good at all uphill you know and and you may not under you may not know that if your draw is too long it's causing you to collapse, so to speak. So your bow hand's coming in and your release hand's going towards the bow. And when that collapses, your alignment's all out of whack and it's just, it's all downhill from there. However, a correct draw length or not, you know, um, for you, the right draw length is paramount and it'll fix that. It'll help with that. It may not fix it completely um, because you still gotta, still gotta work on it, but um, it'll definitely help. So, the, the message I have is play with it. If you think you're 27 and a half and you feel really good about it, maybe try one that's a little longer. Um, and if you have a good friend that's a bow tech, maybe he can help you out. You guys can manipulate that draw length a little bit so, and go from there. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I, I shoot a 29 and a half inch draw length normally. Um, but when it's all said and done, I 
and I'm between 29 and a half and 30 inches. Mm-hmm. And it just depends. Gotcha. Yep. <clears throat> I've heard stories of guys hunting, you know, way up in Canada or something, and they have two bows. They have a warm weather bow and a cold weather bow. And the cold weather bow will be like, you know, an inch, a whole inch shorter draw length or something. It's because they have so many more clothes on that they have to put more of a bend in their elbow. And so they actually shorten their draw length for that. So I'm glad we don't have to deal with that around here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would, uh, I'd probably just invest in a heated, heated vest and some booties (laughs) Uh and all that good stuff. I agree. I agree. Yep. All right. So this will probably be the last question. It's kind of a humdinger I'm going to surprise you with here. So um, you are obviously a great shot. Um, you know, you shoot with, you've hunted with Levi Morgan. Uh, you know, you're very comfortable shooting long distances. How does that translate to hunting? Uh, and I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, people are starting to take longer and longer shots at animals. And I know there's a ton of stuff that comes into it, you know, what animal it is and how they're feeling and everything. But uh, I just want to hear your two cents on basically how long is too long. You know, like what distances do you feel comfortable shooting at, say, a white-tailed deer? Or, you know, will you stretch it out further if it's an elk? Um, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I... um you know that's a that's a touchy situation because you're going to have the uh, the armchair quarterbacks uh, mm-hmm. immediately come out and say that's not ethical. Right. Um, but then I would argue, you know, what's ethical because I know what I put in. Mm-hmm. I know the work I do. I know all my equipment, um, and I can guarantee you the likes of Levi and all the guys that I'm competing against, they put in the work, right? Mm-hmm. So for anyone to you know criticize anybody you know from the from the chair, that's just it's kind of kind of crazy to me because you're not there in the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know that I have an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, uh, as a, just a blanket guidance. Um, mm-hmm. but I would tell you, I mean, the recommendation that I tell everybody is practice, um, focus on being an archer. Um, everybody wants to be a bow hunter these days. Well, very few people want to be an archer. Mm-hmm. Um, what I mean by that is practice, get out there, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. So you mentioned like I've shot, you know, against so-and-so, you know, X, Y, Z, like Levi, Dan, and whatever. Um, but shooting in those situations with my heart rate, you know, S, you know, higher than normal, um, theirs may not have been cause they've been doing this a long time and they're freaking, mm-hmm. they're good. They're good. But for me, I was jacked. Um, being able to focus on the basics, being able to focus on all the little stuff we talked about is going to pay dividends and going to help you get through the moment of truth when you have that booner sitting in front of you. Mm-hmm. If you've done all of that in the off season and your homework and that deer steps out there and he's at X distance, let's say he's at 64 yards, you're not going to have, there's going to be zero doubt whether or not you should make that shot. Mm-hmm. Zero. But, there's a lot of factors that go into it. what's the wind doing? How's the animal acting? Is the animal being, is it full alert? Is this head, is its head down feeding, which that kind of comes into another point. Um, one of my buddies, Justin, um, sent me a podcast to listen to. I can't even tell you, I can't remember who it was, but they talked about how they filmed some hunts, um, shooting does with their heads down. Mm-hmm. And the, every deer they shot with the head down reacted so much faster. And I just remember that. And I started talking to my buddy, Dwayne Carter, who you've had on, started talking to my buddy, Scott Langley. And a lot of times, and I know this is kind of how I was taught was shoot, you know, when the deer puts its head down, mm-hmm. come to full draw, shoot it. Yep. Well, the way it's, if you break it down, when a deer flees and goes to run off, um, and I believe the guys that were on the podcast, and I wish I could remember their names, so I'd give them a shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, when they leave, they drop their head and then bolt. They drop their head. They kind of roll away from whichever way the, the, you know, the danger's coming from, the sound or whatever that is, and then they bolt. So shooting at a deer with its head down, I mean, they're already halfway through their fleeing motion, mm-hmm. um, which then kind of gives them a head start. And we all know how hard these whitetails are to uh, to make a great shot on. Um, we don't want to. I mean, you got to get their head up. Um, and what we did last year was, my, my, you know, Dwayne Carter and I 
we just paid attention to it. So for that last year, yeah, the last two years. So every deer we shot, we made sure their head was up and it was, I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of silly. We were like, man, why didn't we think of this sooner? Hmm. Um, so if the deer, if the head's up, their reaction time, it's slower. Um, I think Dwayne and I have like six kills now, um, on film, then you can walk, you can see it. Like they, they just don't, the two deer I shot last year that I doubled up on, they didn't even move before the arrow was through them. Um, and it was, it was a 49 yard shot and a 41 yard shot. Gotcha. And yep. So I'd love to tell you that, um, I'd step out there on an elk and shoot him at uh, 120 yards. Yeah. Um, but it all depends on the situation. Um, if you put a 3d target out there at 120 yards, would I shoot at it all day? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, but 120 yards is a long ways. Mm -hmm. It's a long ways. Um, I know people that um, have harvested amazing animals <laughs> um, on the side of a mountain shooting downhill at 120 yards and 100 yards. Um, but um, what I would recommend is get them at 25 yards and shoot them through the lungs. Yep. Yep. Always a better option. <laughs> yep. Always. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I hate to uh, not really answer your question, but no, it's just okay. such a it's such a tough one that I yep. uh, before anybody criticizes you know anybody you know what they see on TV or anything like that just just remember you weren't there. I so. agree. I agree. Yep. Yep. I was if anything I was trying to give you a chance to defend those guys. So yeah. I, I yeah. Agree. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I uh I I mean if you if anybody called anybody out individually I would definitely uh, go to bat for them because. Yeah. I've uh I've shot next to them and I can see they're unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, they're unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Levi, Dan, all those guys—they're unbelievable. Yeah, Chris Hacker, who's just down the road, Art Brown, who's in Oklahoma. Those guys just what they can do with a bow and arrow is special. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, hopefully everybody who listens to us today will be a little bit closer to those guys after all these tips. And uh, we're just a little bit over an hour now, so we probably need to shut this one down. But, man, Chris, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today. And uh, we're definitely going to have you back on to, to tell a few deer stories. Man, I'd love to. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. I appreciate you having me. Um, and, yeah, shout out to everybody that's part of this and makes it a possibility. Mm -hmm. awesome thank you very much well man have fun out there in colorado don't work too hard and uh until next time we'll talk to you later all right buddy have a good one and there we have another good one in the books thank you chris for coming on that was absolutely awesome I learned a ton through that, and I also wanted to point out for all you listeners that um, Chris and I got hooked up uh, through Ben with the Bowhunting League, so just another shout-out for them. They were on a few weeks ago. Uh, so, yeah, another shout-out. Go join the Bowhunting League because you get to meet awesome people like Chris, and uh, I'll throw myself in there. I think I'm a pretty cool person. So thank you guys for listening. I'm going to keep this outro real short because we are already well over an hour. So thank you guys again for listening to the podcast, supporting us keep it up because we got a lot more coming so until next week i will see you guys right back here on the oklahoma outdoors podcast